Dios. Thirty first October actually recording on Halloween for Halloween Havoc. How nice is that, Ander? And Ander Why did I go to call you Amber? I've done that before. Adam. <laughs> it's so good you to come dressed. Um, <laughs> as David Let as retired David Letterman on Halloween. I was thinking uh, Ander, I could go like Scandinavian and, and that could be like a, a whole new uh, a whole new persona that i could launch there uh, but yeah actual halloween when we're doing the havoc so you couldn't have planned that much better we couldn't and episode 66 so you could put a little six on the end of it and it could be spooky <laughs> are you hiding from geysers i i am i'm for the first time i'm recording in my wife's office room which looks out onto the back garden as opposed to out on the street like uh like I'm normally facing. So yeah, I'm 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 just I am one of these lights off, you know blind shut people. What about you? Uh, yes, children are out guys in Harry Potter and Voldemort are out guys in as we speak. Um see you could have came back to me and said I'm glad you came dressed as Voldemort for oh, for Halloween. Yeah, Missed yeah. opportunity really. My bad. Um My bad. So normally we 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 will talk about Halloween Havoc, which we will this week. We're talking nineteen ninety six. Spoiler alert: it's not worse yeah. than nineteen ninety five. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot less monster trucks. Um, less. So not yeah, le- yeah less, <laughs> less. Uh, normally we would watch the the, the most popular. Halloween slash horror movie from the year that we are havocing with. Um, that that film this year would have been Scream, so we'd both watched it relatively recently, certainly this year, um, for pod purposes, I believe. Uh, so we decided instead, given we're recording, on 31st October to watch the original John Carpenter's Halloween, um, which I had a very nice time with. Did you? Oh, I loved it. It's it's one of those, it's one of my favourite horror films and I managed to watch both of my, certainly two of my three or four favourite horrors, which is that and The Shining. Um, so yeah, uh, loved it. Wrote quite a few notes, but I just kept like getting a bit lost in the film again, because it's, it's one of those where a lot of the time there's nothing happening, but you're still kind of glued to it because you're just waiting for something to happen. It, it keeps you gripped. Absolutely, that's what's well. Well, let, let me let me um, let me set out the synopsis um, okay. for the one person in the world who may not have seen Halloween. <laughs> Fifteen years after murdering his sister, what a way to start a synopsis! Oh, Fifteen yeah. years after murdering his sister on Halloween night, nineteen sixty-three. Michael Myers escapes from a mental hospital and returns to the small town of Haddonfield, Illinois, to kill again. 
short and sweet. Yeah. Um, yeah, just what you're saying, the anticipation. That's what I think is probably... Between that, creating an iconic character, obviously, and the soundtrack, mm-hmm. I oh, think yeah. those are just like... The anticipation and the soundtrack just go hand in hand, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Those are what I love about this film. Yeah, there's... I, I, I kind of... I sort of look for new things. Um, and I, I'd, there's there's a I think I told you about it. there's a horror podcast that I listen to I think you listen to a few episodes as well about horror films and the, the evolution of horror it's called so it picks uh, a, a subgenre and talks through like from first film to most recent um, and one of the things that I think was mentioned about this when they talked about this that I was then sort of more looking for is the Horror films used to be about they make you care about the character, like the central character, so not the killer, and then you want that person to survive. You care. You're invested. Um, And obviously that's uh, the Jamie Lee Curtis character, Laurie. Laurie, yeah. Yeah. Um, And she comes across as like this good person. And it doesn't take a whole lot. You just end up thinking this is a good person. Um... Whereas her friends are kind of dicks, and that comes across as well. So, never as bothered as they're getting off, because you're like, yeah, do you know what? They kind of maybe had it coming, but you do want her to survive. And I think the wee boy as well, who she's babysitting, who is shown as a bit like picked on um, in the early parts of the film, you're kind of wanting him to survive as well, because you feel kind of bad for him. Um, Whereas I think. It'll happen in the sequels for this, and it happens in most sequels for horror film. It becomes more about like enjoying the kills um, <laughs> rather than hoping for a character to survive. So it's it's interesting the way those things changed over the years. Mm. The um, our friends really are quite annoying. The, the blonde girl that says totally all the time <laughs> a little bit annoying, but yeah. our other friend that why is she our friend? She just, just makes an arser all the time. Yeah, <laughs> but you're, you're right. But little little Tommy, he, he's good in it. Yeah, he's good in it as well. The, um, go on. The soundtrack gets me everything. Even though I know, I I know what the basic sound of the film is. Every time it starts, I just always think that's amazing. Oh, it's the this it's it's um minimal. You know, like there's the there's the the main theme which is iconic, but the the little bits and pieces that um, is dotted around the, you know, when he appears from behind the car at one point, and you get like yeah. a sort of shrieking noise, yeah, and it just jolts you back into the film, um, and just the little bits and pieces. I love the bit where he's, uh, it's so funny to think of him driving down the street like that, and also hanging about in broad daylight outside the uh-huh. school like that as well. Yeah, yeah, but. I love the bit where he's driving down the street and the girl shouts something at him. I can't remember what she shouts. And he just slams on the brakes. <laughs> yeah. You wonder what he's thinking, eh? Yeah, and it, again, it's quite good. We, we definitely touched on this before about the fact that I think in the Rob Zombie uh, remake tries to give a reason, you know, why why he's ended up like this. But in this film, all you know is... Little boy murdered his sister when he was a kid. That's all you know. And then you get the little bits and pieces with uh, Donald Pleasance, who is Dr. 
Loomis. Yeah. Um, who, you know, there's there's little things being said right from early on where he and the, uh, a nurse are, are going to um, to the hospital where he's being held. And um, she, he keeps, Loomis keeps referring to him as it. And she says, he's, he's, he is human or he is a he or something like that. And he's like, if you say so. It's just so, he, he kind of overacts it all, but in a brilliant way. Yeah, it's like coming into the film, everybody that's alive that's come in contact with Loomis is just like, oh, now we get it. Like, you were right. We thought you were over-exaggerating, <laughs> but you weren't. Death has come to your little town, Sheriff. You can either ignore it or you can help me to stop it. The Sheriff the sheriff just does not believe him at all, no. does he? He thinks he's a no. loon. Yeah, Take, it definitely takes quite a while. And he's like... He just knows. So Loomis just knows instinctively that he is going to have gone back to his hometown. So he's like tracking him back there. Um, and everyone like keeps putting these like obstacles in his way. Basically, I think one of the first things said, he wouldn't know how to drive a car. He's been institutionalized since he was a kid. And he's like, he was doing fine last night. It's heads with all of his responses. It's amazing. That's amazing. I like. I don't think I've ever picked up on the bit where Loomis has stopped and he's on the phone to the sheriff. He's they're like halfway on the way back to is it mm-hmm. Haddonfield that it's yeah. called. Yeah. Um, halfway on the, on the way back there, and then he finds a discarded body and where Michael's got the overalls from. Mm-hmm. Where's he got the mask from? The, the shop that was broken in there. Is that what I they say? There's so. a knife yeah. in a shop taken or something like yeah. that. Yeah. 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 He's methodical. Oh yeah. Yeah. What was it? Was it a what mask was? Was it a Shatner mask? Is that what William was Shatner? I painted Shatner. white. Yeah, genius. <laughs> yep. And all done on a shoestring budget, and all all thrown together by by carpenter, and uh-huh. uh, so it sounds like it was thrown together in quite a short period of time, and all that. Brilliant. Yeah, I, I like the because um, we're so used to these kind of horror films now, but uh, I sort of wonder if you were. A, in the audience watching this back then because as soon as Laurie stabs him, so he's, he's trying to get her, she's in a wardrobe, he's dropped his knife, I think after she hits him in the face with a coat hanger or something he drops his knife mm-hmm. and she gets the knife and she stabs him and uh, you know now he is definitely going to get up because you don't kill these monsters with one, you know, that it's never the first uh, action that kills them, but I was looking thinking because he sits up and it's in a very Undertaker Kane style way. Yeah, yeah, you see really her is. in the foreground, he's in the background and he sits up. Um, and I was thinking, imagine you'd never seen a horror film, you know, because they always come back and we know that. That's an awesome moment. It's just brilliant. Um, absolutely. It's funny, I was watching it with my wife and she was just like shaking her head. You know, he's he got up from the coat hanger and he got up, he disappeared after being shot and she's just mm. like, oh, for God's sake. It's like, but, but can you imagine if that was if you'd never seen that before, it's been done to death now, yeah. that that's your yeah. reaction. But can you imagine being in the cinema to see that? It's been amazing. Mm. You're terrified. Yeah, yeah that, that notion that you can't kill this. You just can't kill it. It's just going to keep coming. That's, yeah, brilliant. Amazing. I'll need to go back and watch Halloween 2. I think I really like Halloween 2. Um, do, do they go back to the asylum and, or wherever it is that it's broken out from in, in Halloween 2? No, Halloween 2 
um, she is in the hospital. She's been taken to hospital, Laurie. He is in the hospital, and yes. he basically is basically tracking her down and, and trying to attack her and kill her in the hospital. He just so slaughters millions more... of people in the hospital, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. It's a wee bit more like played for laughs in in certain ways like there's some frolicking between doctors and things like that which is very uh, like comedic in the way it plays until you know they they, they meet michael um so it's it's a bit comes across a little bit more light-hearted but it's right. still a decent film the third one they go totally different like there's no there's no michael myers in the third one um because apparently they wanted to go more anthology um, so they yeah. basically just wanted a, a film at Halloween time that was under the Halloween banner but they weren't going to go all the way with the Michael Myers thing but I think it maybe didn't do very well box office so they went they went back to Michael Myers after that Do, do, do you know we'll get onto wrestling I'm sure at some point do you know, do you know what I find like in both parts sort of terrifying but also quite funny is when um, the blonde girl in our boyfriend are upstairs in the bed uh, and he's went downstairs for a beer and, and Michael's pinned him to the wall and killed him and then he comes upstairs with a sheet over his head and his yeah. glasses yeah. and it's like why did yeah. he feel the need it to was... do that because he's been terrifying everybody else just with his mask yeah. on <laughs> kind of laugh at that and you think uh-huh. well yeah should I be laughing but yeah that, that, that got me as well Cause it, I, I think even if it hadn't if he hadn't put the glasses on I don't know just, yeah that made me laugh I suppose it is quite believable it might have been her boyfriend because they had quite a jokey winding mm-hmm. each other up type yeah it yeah. doesn't seem that Michael would think to do that it's quite funny it's good nice um, I liked this line from Loomis what's the boogeyman As a matter of fact, it was. Just after everything, ever, Laurie's <laughs> just been fended off a serial killer at this point multiple times, and Loomis has got to get his smart arse quips in. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't need that shit right now. Uh, I think he's in like a surprising number of the sequels, Donald. Is he really? Yeah, uh, like. I don't know that anyone's in three that's in the first two, but I think he's the one that because Laurie will disappear for a while. But I think he he continues uh, through a few of them. Uh, but watched like there was it's maybe the fifth one or sixth, and it's got Paul Rudd in it, quite quite a young Paul Rudd. And uh, I thought as this this is going to be quite fresh. It's still going to be Michael Myers, but it's going to be quite fresh. Not seen it, watched it, and I thought there he is. There's Loomis still <laughs> going up, yeah. Still warning everyone about all this. <laughs> he think he'd... Uh, they should have went off on a, a tangent where he lost his mind and started killing people that wouldn't listen to him. Yeah. yeah. And Michael becomes really concerned about <laughs> Loomis and he's like, this guy's unhinged. Anyway, nice. Halloween, absolute classic. If you've never seen it, shame on you. Put this podcast off and go and watch it immediately. <laughs> Agreed? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk Halloween Havoc 1996. Shall we, Adam? Shall we do yeah. it? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, we're in Vegas. In Vegas this year, 27th October 1996, in the MGM Grand, 
wonder what took WCW to Vegas. That's a mm-hmm. that's an odd one. They've been in Detroit yeah. the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and our hosts, as it were, is Tony Schiavone and Bobby the Brain Heenan, as we've had the last couple of years. But they've got someone else along with them for the ride. It's the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, and who the hell thought that was a good idea? <laughs> Obviously, we've done 1998, or most of 1998 with WCW, and, and Dusty was on commentary quite a lot then. Yeah. I wonder if this is the start of it. Um, I mean, you would have thought anyone would see this one and think, nah, <laughs> we won't do that again. Like, he's he's a legendary talent, and he was a great promo guy uh, and all that, but uh, it does not work as a part of an announced team at all. Mm-mm. He's just he's just saying things and living in his own wee world and not yeah. keeping along with the narrative of what else is going on. Yeah. So so uh, so odd. It made me appreciate how much Shivani and Heenan have had such a good rapport the last two mm. we've watched because yeah. they were really bouncing off each other. We were loving Heenan, mm. uh, especially in nineteen ninety four. I think yeah. the first year he was great. Um. Okay, Shivani says that we're going to see the very most important world title match, which I, I didn't really know what that meant, but I get your point, Tony. Um, first match on the card was for the WCW Cruiserweight Championship. It was a champion, Rey Mysterio Jr., taking on Dean Malenko. Big Malenks. Rey Mysterio is 21 here. He's very small. Yeah. Like, I think um, it's the... like he's He's obviously always been little in terms of height but when you see him here what he ends up looking like physically Hi. is Hi. crazy Hi. it really is he's so small i, d- oh, I don't mean when i say small I, I don't obviously he's, he's, he's never grown in height but mm-hmm. his upper body just got especially when he went on that in the 2000 and what would that have been 2002 three yeah. run when yeah. he started on smackdown he was just i remember him just looking pretty huge Mm-hmm. Um, must be about three times the size mm-hmm. then than he is here. Uh, what do you think of our opening contest? I thought it was okay. Um, I I was quite enthusiastic, and you know, Dean Malenko is. They, they mentioned, I think, the man of a thousand tolds here thing. Uh, <laughs> he um, they, he they, tried they, to they, prove it. They talk about uh, a situation with Malenko taking uh, Rey Mysterio's mask. Um, mm. and But it's one of them where I felt like I just got a tiny little throwaway comment in what I think was maybe supposed to have been the big story. And I'm trying to piece it together myself a little bit in terms of what's going on there. Um, Mysterio does... It's, it's one of those where Malenko is obviously getting to be the big powerful guy and I think we've seen him be that a couple of times in the cruiserweight division um, and Mysterio is going to bump and he is going to fly all over the place um, yeah. I I thought it had some moments I thought it was okay, I thought it was maybe I wondered if we were getting towards the like attempt to get off to a fast start by having a bit of, a bit of wrestling on the go um, I, I definitely feel like we've seen a lot worse uh, in Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that. There's a, a bit of a story here about Mysterio starting out fast, Malenko trying to slow him down. Um, he goes through a little phase of just rolling through different submission holds, a bit like in a computer game where you're pressing yep. all the different buttons and <laughs> seeing what happens. Um, 
but I quite like that. I quite liked him slowing him down, particularly he has him uh, in the sleeper. At one point, Mysterio starts tapping, but I, I assume that that is um, not just a, a wee mistake there. Siesta yeah. time, amigo says brain. Uh, <laughs> something dusty. Dusty says that Ray lives, sleeps, and eats his cruiserweight title, which I thought was a an odd approach to looking after your championship belt. Um, there's times where it gets a little bit choreographed and a little bit yeah. dancey, um, which I didn't love, but generally I, I enjoyed it as well. It was good fun. Yeah. I, I like that dynamic of a cruiserweight match where you've got like a sort of powerful cruiserweight who is power bombing and yeah. you know can throw the guy about and yeah. and some some lovely reversals from Mysterio at times as well. So I I, I enjoyed it as well. I, th- I think the finish came about with a, a power bomb for the top rope, was it from Malenko? Yeah, yeah, um, which looked pretty awesome. Um, yeah, I think they had. So Ray had been doing a few quite high impact moves, and then um, I think Ray had attempted another move, and Malenko reversed it into a power bomb off the off the ropes, and then. I think actually he hit one power bomb and he kicked out, and then there was a big power bomb, and that was it. Uh, yeah, I think Mysterio went in as champ, didn't he? So Malenko, yeah, Malenko won the belt here. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, okay, we go backstage, and we are with a man with the voice of an angel. Who? Lee Marshall. Is this? That man can read me an audiobook anytime. What a voice he's got. Do you recognise this guy? No, not at all. Like I, When I saw him, I thought, have I seen this guy before? And I, I, I was like, I think the voice is what grabs you. Uh, but yeah, I was like, I definitely haven't seen this guy on a show before, like in the timeline. So this must be an nah. early appearance by, for him here. But then I was thinking, is he, is he going to stick around? I just didn't recognise him. I hope so. I might just watch remaining WCW pay-per-views between now and next year, but just flick through until he's doing the, the segments. He's kind of taken on the, the Mean Gene yeah. role, as, as Mean Gene has been doing the last couple. Uh-huh. Anyway, this heavenly-voiced man, Lee Marshall, is backstage. He's with Double J, Jeff Jarrett. He is taking on the Giant tonight. Um, he cuts like a relatively good promo, but my, my only issue is he keeps going, ha-ha! In between, like, halfway through a ha-ha-ha sentence, which is really weird. Yeah, uh, that was, yeah. Ric Flair appears and is Ric Flair-style animated and excited, yeah. and you can imag- you can't see his feet, but you can you can imagine them going, he's shouting, and um, he's in, <laughs> he was, he's he in was Jeff Jarrett's me. corner. He was annoying was he? me a wee bit here. Yeah, I was like... I thought that, yeah, like you, the ha-has were unnecessary, but I thought the Jarrett promo was fine, and then mm-hmm. there was Flair, and so Flair was supposed to face the Giant, I think. That was um, certainly the match that they said they were originally going with, and then Flair has removed himself from that, so Jarrett's like stepping in for him. Um, because, because Giant chokeslam Flair or, or something like yeah. that. Chokeslam on the floor or, or something. Yeah. So and I, I, the... I had been thinking, is there, is Flair at it? Is there something, you know, because every yeah, fucking chokeslam Flair, yeah. you know. 
Hold on, start again. The number of times we've seen Flair in this situation, and he's then stabbed the man whose corner yeah. he was supposed to be in in the back. But we know that he doesn't join the NWO. But yeah, you could still see him doing this like for maybe whatever just reason. Wanting Jarrett out, or you know, not wanting the association anymore, so just screw over. I, I, yeah. I was just from this, I was expecting it. Um, but yeah. They seem to have five horsemen here. Jarrett seems to be a sort of unofficial horseman, doesn't he? Yeah, and I know that, you know, I suppose in the days when it was a a sort of legendary stable, there were the four in-ring performers and then there was like a mouthpiece um, Mm. a lot of the time. So there were quite often five guys uh, in there associated with being the horsemen. Um, And I remember, I think, like, I've heard Jarrett talking about being a horseman because he talks about having been in basically every faction that ever existed, but like most of them he's just in them for about a day or something like that and then he, he gets moved on. Um so I was sort of piecing it together in my head that he must he must be a horseman here and the horsemen are maybe what was the situation with the horsemen in the last one? Did they can kinda of reunite? Or yeah, Flair they remember Pillman. Yeah. Yeah, Pillman, Flair and Arn, and, and, and they were going to recruit Benoit not long yeah. after that. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that you're referring to Steve McMichael as an in-ring performer. <laughs> we'll get on to that, though. Uh, oh. Our second match is the Battle for the Ring, which sort of plagues WCW pay-per-views every now and again. They do this, what is it, like a battle bowl ring or something like that? Battle bowl ring, so I assume. So the story seemed to be that Eddie had won the battle bowl ring, and DDP just stole it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But they didn't know where the ring was, but somehow DDP ended up with just, like, finding it in the corner of the ring after the match. Mm. Yeah. me. Um... So this was DDP versus a face, Eddie Guerrero, um, who I was thinking kind of looked like a bit of a Latin uh, Francis Begbie. Oh, yeah. I can Could see, you see that. that. Yeah, from yeah. like train spotting style days. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, Francis Begbie, yeah. You didn't say the actor, you said the character. Not, not Robert yeah. Carlyle. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's definitely got the look. He's got a bit of a dodgy wee moustache or something like that. and. Mm-hmm. Yeah. borderline mullet on the go and yep. a wee bit a wee bit of rage in, in him. I really enjoyed this match. I, I think I enjoyed it more that, than a lot of the matches on this card. I think it was quite a throwaway match, but I really quite enjoyed it. I thought these two worked well together. What they, do you think of it? They, they did. In, in the ring action, I thought was really good, but this is where the announcers started to slightly get on my nerves because <laughs> Dusty has some like rant about tradition that just he's just going on saying the same thing for ages and I think he cuts off another announcer when I think they're trying to bring things back on track and then from then on I felt like um, Tony Schiavone was just openly mocking him just like taking <laughs> bits out of him um, and they also, like, it's a good match and they, they work well together um, and there's there's a good move set between them. I feel like DDP's growing. Um, mm. he's, he's starting to develop into maybe a bit more character um, and Eddie's 
Eddie Guerrero is is just awesome. He's got the charisma. He's got the moves. He's he's, he's brilliant. And we also get the um, Nick Patrick is the referee here. I think it's he, I don't think he was for the opening match. I think this is no, his, no, this his, is his starting point. And he's got a neck brace on, and he's uh, they they point out that he has seemed to have favoured the NWO, um, and I. For for whatever reason, my mind started wandering to, well, why would this be allowed? And I was like thinking, if if you're if you try to pretend that this is real, that this is all you know, a sporting event. This referee has a neck injury for for starters, and that has been favoured quite heavily. Yeah, and has been shown to have favoured this particular group in the past. So whose idea is it to just let him be out there officiating matches tonight? It just it's it That's a good point. It seemed to me like they were gonna create problems for themselves by allowing that. Should should we be looking into who's allocating the referees to the matches? Mm. Could yeah. it have been Bischoff? Long term story no, oh. I wouldn't have done long term storytelling. <laughs> Why see there's a point in the match where DDP's got Eddie on the outside and they're they're fighting and he's chopping him. DDP's shouting, Come on, girlfriend to Eddie <laughs> I, I don't know what that's all about. The the commentators were saying that and I'm saying I was kinda of thinking, was he did, what, did you hear him saying that though, yeah? Yeah, I did. Huh? I, I heard it. I heard what I thought was that and then one of the announcers said it one and I was like I did hear that right. Yeah, that's quite weird. There was just before they end up outside. There's a, some quite uh, cool couple of bits. Eddie feigns a couple of dives out, and every yeah. you know he does it twice, and um, DDP sort of moving out of the way, and then he just drops down out of the ring, gives him a big chop, uh, and runs him in the barricade. It's cool. Yeah. It's cool. Um, I think I think Eddie must end up getting injured or something at some point because this kind of was rolling for a good 10 minutes quite nice and fast and back and forward back and forward and then it slows right down into a really awkward uh, diamond cutter and Mm -hmm. and just sort of like I was going to say out of nowhere he gets the pin but not in a diamond cutter out of nowhere like not like that more like he does it and then just pins him and then that's it sort of thing yeah because even I think the announcers say something like I'm not sure he got all of it like they're almost calling this isn't going to be the end of the match but it does end the match Um, and Mm -hmm. I'd wondered the same because he'd been really selling his knee when he was doing like the overselling when he was uh, but when it slowed I couldn't tell if it was maybe still his knee and I thought "Mm." Because it it no longer felt like over the top selling. I just uh, he did dive out from the top rope and he seemed to land mm-hmm. uh, like right to the outside and he seemed to land and bang both his knees yeah. on the way out. So he maybe just ended up hurting himself. DDP did a really cool spinning sit down power bomb, which really should have been yeah. his finishing move because it was very cool. Yeah. Um, but yep, DDP gets a diamond cutter and wins and takes away the. The, the battle bull ring mm-hmm. which I felt I felt like they were start, they were really selling the diamond cutter here which you know always helps a performer they're talking about the fear of it the risk of it the danger of it and all that mm. sort of shooting over the, the finisher for him that's the last couple of although I, I do remember saying to you that I thought the DDP match last time went far too long far far too long this yeah. one was good 
Yeah. Uh, interesting to see where he is in 1997. Yeah. Um, okay, Iron Mike Tenay is backstage with uh, Randy Savage. Mm-hmm. Mike Tenay just decides to just stop trying to <laughs> um, stop laughing and everything, and just he's just killing himself <laughs> laughing at Savage. Yeah. Savage yeah. is cutting his usual type of promo. Tenay's loving life. It was. So this is like, they're auctioning off. Was it, Were they auctioning off a monster track? Is that what was happening here? Or, or giving well, they, away they a were, monster track? They were given, they did like a like a raffle, a raffle. type draw for yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I, I immediately thought, oh, is, this, is this monster track going to play a role in the show? Is that what's oh, going to happen? And, uh, I, but when so Savage is just doing, he's over the top, he's doing his thing, and yet Tene cannot keep it together. And I kept thinking, if this was Mean Gene, like, he would hold it. He'd maybe be laughing a lot inside, but he would try and hold it. But you're right, Tene, at a point, quite early on, just stopped. It's like, I can't. I'm, I'm just going to laugh away and let you do your thing. And he just kind of gets uh, lost in it, and he's just about to make the Get, get Savage to make the draw and then he's like oh yeah there's terms and conditions and then like immediately goes back into business mode yeah. reads the terms and conditions and then uh, Randy uh, pulls out the winner and offers to take the winner on a date in their monster truck. Lucky lady. Yeah. He says something um, about uh, breaking Hogan in half as well. Uh, and I, uh, <laughs> I, I was trying, to, I'm always trying to figure out because we're only Months past the turn, aren't we? For yeah, the, the Hogan yep. the, uh, joining the Outsiders and forming the NWO. So, yeah, we're not that far on from there because I, when I think of the NWO, when it's just got everyone in it, to me, this is. I had thought this was going to be this really cool phase where it was very, very limited numbers, and then that almost gets ruined straight away because as soon as I realised Savage isn't in it because he's facing Hogan in the match later on. Um, I thought, right, maybe it's just like the three guys. Uh-huh. Yep. And that's what I wanted it to be. And I don't think I realised how little time it must have been that it was just the three guys. Why did they do that? Because here, we've got Ted DiBiase, who's like coming across as some sort of manager for, for leader He's for like, all the NWO talents. Like, yeah, like their mouthpiece. Yeah. And he is, like, announcing them from up in the balcony because they're going to have a slightly different walk-in area than, than the rest of the talents, which is... I don't mind them coming in from a different point in the in the arena. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. But just at that exact moment, I was like, oh, no. They've already Vincent. oversaturated the NWO. <laughs> They've already ruined it. And it's been weeks. I know. This is what I couldn't help thinking. I was we were going to get onto this later, but since we're talking about it, well, Giant had made the turn. Can only made the turn the last pay per view because I want to say they had war games where it was NWO and they did the whole fake Sting thing. And as they joining the NWO, mm. and the Giant had made the turn then. Um, but I, I feel like. The way that this is booked, right, so, for example, the Outsiders versus Harlem Heat. Harlem Heat are 100% not faces, right? So you've got mm-hmm. yeah. what should be two heel teams. But yeah. people, there's loads of NWO t-shirts in the crowd. People are cheering Nash and Hall. There's a huge diesel chant uh-huh. going. They book, them in, book themselves into such a weird situation within 
like you say, a couple of months of this kicking off. It's really weird. Yeah. It's not surprising, was it? Really? Yeah. Because, um, yeah, so, so it becomes clear here that uh, Giant, like you say, is NWO. Um, and he has but he has the US title belt, but he's not the champion. Is that right? Uh, I think he stole it from Flair. Yeah. Um, he talks a lot about all the places he's going to stick Jarrett. Um, and yeah, and I, I, I just, I felt a bit of the wind go out of me when I saw all this and heard all this because for it, keep it for six months as just the three guys or whatever. You know, you, you can go a long way with just the three guys. Yeah, like, what is the impact? I think Giant might have possibly been champion when mm-hmm. it joined. Yeah. But, you know, like, you kind of get, you can't go beyond the impact of Hogan joining them. Vincent no. joining the NWO doesn't eclipse Hogan <laughs> joining the NWO. The Giant, I understand. Yeah, I, I get you, that one. Yeah, like DiBiase, also former WWF, Hogan, Hall and Nash, all outsiders come from uh, up north to, to take over WCW and all that. Sean Waltman is also. Mm-hmm. But then Giants, no. So, like, no, with Giant that, it's gone. There. Yeah. I think, you know, the Giant joining at a point later down the line would have made absolute sense because, you know, say he kept being screwed and it became a I can't beat him, join him type situation aye, aye. or something like that. But you've rushed that. You haven't, it doesn't feel like you get the payoff for it because you hadn't established it for long enough the other way. Um, yeah. And I guess Sting at this point is disappearing. Sting's obviously yeah. not on this pay-per-view. They're, they're talking yeah. about him not being seen for a while. Mm-hmm. Which, the whole... you know, they've they've decided to go, I think that's going to be the long story, you know, which, yeah, it's no issue with that. That's your, one of your sort of franchise players in the WCW. Um, and the right guy, I think, to be this sort of mysterious, what's he going to do, what's going to happen type character. But it just all felt very rushed, the whole no. thing. If that was done now, though, it would be even more rushed because there'd be three TV shows to yeah. to do a week. So you'd have had, can you imagine? Anyway, uh, our next match. So, like you said, you've got Ted DiBiase up in the crowd, and he's been this sort of mouthpiece for the NWO. I quite like this whole thing they've got going on here, where he's um, he's doing like a a little introduction of the member of the NWO, then the music's playing, they're coming for the crowd. But it does feel a bit sort of fan favourite mm-hmm. I'm coming from yeah. the middle of the crowd. But anyway, yeah. Yeah, so this is our Giant versus Jeff Jarrett um, match. What do you think? Uh, <laughs> like, there's there's quite a lot of, like, I think in a match like this, because there's quite a lot of stalling early on, and that makes sense from a Jarrett point of view. You just look at the two guys, and you know he maybe does a bit of running about and dipping in and out of the ring. I can I can make that logical in my mind. Um, I kept thinking, you know, eventually some stuff starts happening. And it's giant power, and what can Jeff realistically do? And then there's always sort of the threat of Flair on the outside, and he's got I think he's got a chair at so at one point. <laughs> And I was yeah. half expecting him to just leather jar it with it. Um, <laughs> and then there's like, you get 
like Giant was athletic. He was an athletic guy. He could move. He could do some impactful moves. I suppose you don't want him doing it all the time because I think it takes away from it if he's doing it all yeah. the time. Um, and this felt like uh, it wasn't going to be a squash, but you were supposed to believe right from the outset that Giant's going to destroy this guy. Um, yes. But it, it just, it I never, it never grabbed me. I, I never, <laughs> I don't think at any point I really cared uh, what was going on. Hmm. I thought it was all right, actually. I thought, I thought it was just going to be a squash. I thought Giant might just wreck him. Um, but I quite liked Jarrett doing the whole like uh, winding him up and then running away from the corner and giving him a kick to the leg and and stuff. I quite, of course they made it believable, but you know what I mean. Like it was. Yeah. It, I think if that was WWF, he'd have grabbed him by the throat and choked him. It would have been over three seconds. Yeah. Uh, like uh, uh, there was they 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 gave Jarrett some bits and pieces, like you say. Quite like there's a moment where Jarrett puts him in the figure of four out on the floor. Um, and I don't know if they catch it properly, but they tell you the story of what exactly happened, which is the giant just basically reaches across and just grabs him by the throat. So he's, he's so got so long a reach that that made absolute sense, which I I quite liked. And I think they indicated he'd maybe done that to Flair as well um, when when they'd had their 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 match. Um, so yeah, I just I, I struggle. I always struggled with Jarrett because I I just didn't care. I was like, he had go away heat for me. So mm. he comes on. I wanted to change the channel, basically. Um, and it's not to say he's a bad wrestler. It's not to say he's a bad performer. But it just it just didn't click for me. Didn't work and for you. The giant, I don't know. I, like sometimes I quite enjoy watching him, and sometimes he's just kind of there. I think this version and last year's version of Giant is like the biggest waste of talent. Mm-hmm. He must be yeah. in the top five wasted talents that there's been. Um, anyway, Flair ends up low blowing the big man and gets DQ'd, and and that's it. Really, the crowd are booing the Horsemen, but the NWO are supposed to be the bad guys as well. Yeah. Again, that dynamics a bit weird. Yeah. Because um, I think they all they all come flying out, don't they? All the horsemen yep. come yep. come flying out once once they get the di- disqualification. And Shivani's like saying, like the NW are cowards. They won't they won't put up a fight when there's the numbers are against them and all this sort of stuff. So again, weird dynamic. Yeah, maybe they were just terrified of Mongo McMichael. Um, you wouldn't want him uh, putting a wrestling it. hold on you because I mean he's. He's he not, doesn't he know, know any. what he's doing. So he's, chop, yeah. chop blocks and <laughs> suitcase walloping. <laughs> I do, I, I do like we go. It just goes straight back, I think, to DiBiase in the stands yes. here. Yeah, and the the way he speaks as he calls it one more win for the NWO, and it's like it's that. You know that annoying guy that just makes the best of every bad situation that's like, just see reality and talk about that. He just, he is, he is an NWO guy and he's presenting it in his own way. I, I quite like that. Um, just in a annoying get under your skin kind of way. He's definitely good at the kind of, and this goes beyond um, Million Dollar Man character, That that sort of over-the-top preacher-type mm-hmm. character. Yeah. He, he does that well. Yeah. Um, I think it's funny 
what so six Sean Waltman X back whatever six they give him the microphone and it's kind of like that's not really his thing yeah. he, he says something like Jericho is a fine young athlete but he will be crucified for WCW sins and he says yeah. all that in a sort of normal voice but uh-huh. he's X-Pac on the mic he just screams and shouts and he's yeah. just like it's just like suddenly he just starts screaming and shouting I don't even know what it is that he starts saying but he says that's the line that he was clearly told to say. He uh-huh. says it and then just starts bawling and shouting. I quite, always um, think... respectful of Jericho. Yeah, to be absolutely were... respectful of him as well. Yeah, and I thought, is this deliberate? Is this going to be a guy they approach, try and recruit? You know, how how is this going to play out? But maybe, I don't know, maybe it was just a throwaway thing. But I was also thinking, um, see, when X-Pac used to speak, from my memory of the the watching watching wrestling regularly on TV, he was always part of a group. So he would just do a little bit, and then it'd be on to somebody else. Somebody else, and that yeah. kind of worked because you knew, and he knew his role, and he was hyper and aggressive and high pitched and all that. But then you'd just move on to somebody else. Whereas when he's speaking on his own in isolation, that that's it just doesn't work for me. Mm-mm. Nah, not at all. The irony is, he's got a really good podcast, Sean Waltman. He speaks yeah. really well. Uh, th- yeah, yeah. I've I've heard that. I've never actually heard the podcast. But, and he was, he's a great worker. You know, he's an absolutely brilliant worker. And and to your point, it's a good match. Mm-hmm. I, I don't recall a lot of Jericho X-Pac matches uh, at all. Like 98 yeah. or 99. Um, that's a really good match. Yeah. I think when, they, it kind of feels like they both get their greatest hits in, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I couldn't tell if this was kind of designed to showcase the talents of Jericho. I felt like it was when I was watching mm-hmm. it. I felt like this has given him a really good platform to to do his stuff and, and show what he can do. Because, again, working with a guy like X-Pac, Jericho can be the bigger guy. He can be the stronger guy. Um, but he can also... Um, take bumps. They can, you know, kind of show off a, a a full repertoire. But they've they've got quite they've got pretty good chemistry. I think yeah. the two of them. Yeah, definitely. Um, what about Dusty in this match? He tells Brain not to get flabber busted. Uh, the 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 one of the early scares I got in the match. We see the Taskmaster with the Dungeon oh, Doom and Conan in the crowd, just over the barrier. And yes. I was looking for that thing, like that blue thing. <laughs> the the, the human character. <laughs> I thought, imagine he's just sitting in the next chair. <laughs> Dripping body paint on some poor woman. <laughs> yeah, they must have got rid of him pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> we never got any sort of proper understanding of what they were doing. Was no. that the guardian angel, or was it Big Bubba that was that was with them? I don't remember Conan being in the Dungeon of Doom either. Nah, me neither. Yeah. So jumped to the NWO pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this probably this is a good match as far as in ring, but the story of this match is Patrick, Nick Patrick again being completely at it. Slow counts for Jericho, and he's down nimble as a cat as soon as um, <laughs> six hits the. Uh, what does he hit him with? 
spin and heel kick, is it? Spin and heel kick, yep, and it gets a three, but uh, yeah, that's what the story is, this one. Yeah, they, 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 I felt like it went from, you know, uh, he's, he's maybe doing an okay job <laughs> as a ref to all out, you know, over the favouritism. Yeah, he really, <laughs> like, he could, you could be left in absolutely no doubt where, where you, and I think he actually helps X Pac back up the, or they help yeah. each other back up the yeah. ramp after the match. Ridiculous. <sighs> Okay, backstage with Iron Mike Tenay, he is with Lex Luger, who looks like a scarecrow. He looks terrifying. What is he doing? What is he doing? The very first Halloween Havoc we saw with Lex Luger on it, he had soaking wet hair and he looked like an absolute badass. He looked like yeah. He-Man. Yeah. Now he's decided to let his hair dry without doing anything with it and he looks like a scarecrow. Yeah, It's not a good look, Lex. He's very angry, and he's looking forward to beating up Arn Anderson. Yeah, the thing I found quite funny about it, because his his main gripe seems to be there's this NWO faction, which is a huge threat to all of them, but rather than the WCW guys unite and be all together and be a united front, you've got groups like the Horsemen who are taking out the other WCW talents rather mm-hmm. than helping them and supporting them. So I could get that. I could I could understand that from a storyline point of view. Um, but see when it, um, it comes to the actual match, regardless of... I, I can't get behind Lex Luger. I just, like... I wanted Arn Anderson to kick the shit out of him. Um, well... Uh, sorry, Lex. Um, but like, they can tell the story, and everything Lex was saying in that promo was Mister Righteous, Mister. You know, I think I prefer him being more of a dick, mm. like just a sort of backstabbing, double crossing, untrustworthy dick. Um, whereas here, I felt like he was supposed to be the good guy because it's hard to judge with the horsemen, good guys, bad guys, whatever. Um, I think they've been. On each side, so many times, but yeah, I just I I wanted Arn to destroy him. That's that's Arn bias, though. Possibly, yeah. Arn's Arn's um, creeping into Christian territory for you now. I think (laughs) underrated, yeah, and just brilliant. I think what was annoying me about Luger was that last Halloween Havoc, he was aligned with the Dungeon of Doom, and the Dungeon of Doom are clearly. Uh, cheering him on in this match but like you say he's been all all sort of righteous about it mm-hmm. um, I didn't particularly love the match I, didn't th- I believe Arn Anderson's quite badly uh, struggling at this point okay. Okay. Um, I was listening to Bischoff's podcast talking about this event and they'd said him and Conrad both talking about this being Arn's sort of last big Match because of the issues yeah. he was having, something about yeah. losing the feeling in his hands. Yeah, he lost the feeling like a neck issue hands. or something. And yeah, it's all all linked to a neck problem. I, I was listening to him speaking about where he, I think he basically he went to the gym to try and do his workout that he would normally do, and just one arm he couldn't do anything, couldn't function okay. one of the arms. I kept thinking how, like, what a different world the wrestling business is. Like we're. <laughs> fairly normal people and we're like 
uh, this hand isn't functioning. I can't, I can't do anything with this arm. I mean, that's that's panic stations right there. That's that's a problem. Whereas these guys, I can just be like, ah, oh. you know, that's annoying. But I'll, sh- I'll be able to make it through. Yeah, I'll do the my match. next four weeks of bookings. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> weird. I didn't think that um, that Luger would have been. It. Arn's a big man. Uh-huh. I didn't think he'd be able to get him up for a torture. Right? He gorilla presses him. He did right he early on as well. Early, yeah, which was just after my favourite moment in the match. I can't remember what Arn did, but it was some sort of power move, and then he mocked the muscles. So I feel like he was flexing himself and stuff. Like I absolutely love that. He keeps saying he ain't so bad to the crowd. <laughs> Class. Um, how does this one finish? Uh, torture Lex, rack. He just, yeah. he just quits, doesn't he? Yeah, he puts they, him in the torture rack and he, he submits. Um, they do a thing where both guys are like working on each other's backs and, yeah. and the thinking is that he's setting them up for the torture rack and yeah. or he's setting them up to not be able to do a torture rack. Uh-huh. It's, it's all right. It's, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, so I, Arn, Arn quits and, and Lex keeps the torture rack on for quite some time. Yeah. Uh, after the bell, and then we have Jarrett and Flair coming out to check on Arn, and the end. The story they tell is that Arn, Jarrett, and Flair are off to the the hospital yep. together, and that will come into play in the next match. Yeah. Uh, backstage, this silk-voiced angel Lee Marshall, he is uh, hawking the the hotline. Yeah. Mean Jean still... sitting at home thinking. What have I done wrong here? But nah, you... I think Mean Gene would be loving it because this guy's selling <laughs> it and it's probably just lying in Mean Gene's pockets, I would have thought. Mm, good point, actually. <laughs> um, I love that he's saying that he's like encouraging children to try and find out where Sting is by phoning all <laughs> yeah. Now, remember, kids, ask your mum and dad for permission, but yeah. you must phone this hotline. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, then the Harlem Heat is this is this what was his name Robert Palmer or Parker Robert Parker, Parker. Colonel Robert Parker sensational Sherry and the Harlem Heat uh, come in Booker T has got the audacity to tell Lee Marshall to shut up <laughs> which is disgraceful I do not like Stevie Ray do you no. something about him just annoys me he just seems like a nasty man <laughs> I also felt like I could have done without Parker and Sherry here as yes. well. Me too. I like Sherry. Sherry's class. Yeah. Like back in the, the days where she was like sensational Queen Sherry beside match beside heel macho man. I loved that stuff. I thought she was brilliant at that. And then the Shawn Michaels story when he broke off on yep. his own and she aligned with him. I thought she was perfect for these roles, but she's just annoying me a bit here. Oh really? Yeah, and they're telling a story which I don't think should be anything to do with anything that's going on because they're telling a story about Parker and Sherry and it, he, like, proposed or something. Or, it's supposed and, to have been married or... Yeah, uh, and she, she dingied him or whatever happened. And I thought, well, you, you've got the outsiders. You've got Harlem Heat. You've got, like, this competition for the tag titles and are they going to be taken to the NWO and all You don't need... This this weird story between a manager and, and this woman. It just seemed... two, two managers. Yeah, it just seemed unnecessary. I agree. 
Um, that takes us back to the ring. We've got, well, we've got, I've got a new favourite tag team. We've got the Faces of Fear with Jimmy Hart, which is the Barbarian and Meng, taking on Steve McMichael and Chris Benoit, and they have Deborah and Woman with them. Multiple Valleys was the the big thing in WCW nineteen ninety six, apparently. Which 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 one of these is your new favourite tag team? Oh, the Faces of Fear. Okay, okay, they're amazing. Like, I uh, the one thing I couldn't get with them because I I think. I, this is going to sound awful. I think I've maybe mixed these two people up in the past, so it made sense to, for them to be aligned and in the same tag team. You've got, <laughs> you've got Meng and the Barbarian. Um, and they are these badasses, and they look terrifying, and I don't want to mess with them. It seems really weird to me that Jimmy Hart's their manager, because uh, they're really like, you know, really plain, dark clothes, things like that. And he's got his really loud suits and his megaphone and all that. It seems so strange. I don't think Haku would respond well to like a little hyperactive man shout, "Come on, baby, come on, baby!" with a megaphone. Yeah, weird. I uh, wondered um, as soon as I saw them come out, it crossed my mind: is where are we with Benoit and women? Because mm-hmm. you know the, the the story that has been told is that she was with Kevin Sullivan. She left Kevin Sullivan, she's with Benoit, they're both in the same company. This is a bit messy. Um, and I had thought that when I watched The Dark Side of the Ring, that I think covered the, the, the whole tragedy that happened, that they talked about the fact that some situations got a bit stiff between Benoit and Sullivan. Um, and I, I, one of the first things I've got in my notes here was because they talk about you know life imitated art. So he they'd aligned them before they actually got together. Yeah. Um, and I thought, I wonder where we are here uh, with that whole thing. It's, it plays out, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, Mungo, Mc, is, he, is Steve McMichael here? Is he Mungo yeah. Attic? And I think Shivoni's referring to him as Mungo. Um, he has a steel briefcase, which they seem to be referring to as a Halliburton. Yeah. <laughs> Does that mean anything to you? No. no? Not at all. D- d- does it seem like the horsemen bought his services, and they, they seem to be that seems to be the yeah. story? Yeah, I, I think that's why what... the fuck would they do that? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> they, yeah, they, they, that that was a mistake. Yeah. Hey, so let's just ignore the first sort of five minutes of this match because it's just McMichael and Haku like running into each other really hard and fast, and then they do some sumo wrestling. And then we get some chop blocks because, you know, McMichael was an American football player and that's all he can fucking do. Um, However, at one point this turns into a wrestling match, probably when Benoit comes in. And the faces of fear do a move I've never seen before where Haku back body drops him right onto the barbarian who then power bombs him. Yep, yep. Loved that. Ah. Like the, these, these, this team could have got over massive because these are huge, scary, intimidating guys. Um, but yeah, I was waiting for the wrestling, and the wrestling. You're, I've got it in my notes. Benoit comes in, so now the wrestling starts because yeah. the the other guys are very good at being badass, powerful, terrifying guys. Mike Michael's not a wrestler. He's never going to be a wrestler. We know that. Uh, but Benoit brings some wrestling into it, and he's able to work pretty well with these two 
big, powerful guys. Mm. But he does some selling. Like, for, for mm. some of these high-impact moves. And he was always good at selling, Benoit. He, he really... He, he tells the story of the pain he's in uh, as he's going through it. So I ended up really quite enjoying a few segments where Benoit's just getting his ass kicked, basically. Yeah. There's a there's a brilliant spot where the barbarian launches him from one corner on the, the top of the turnbuckles, belly to belly, overhead, belly to belly, fr- basically throws him from the top of the turnbuckles all the way to the other corner of the ring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's unbelievable. He's away high, miles uh, high in the air. Um, uh, there's a little subtle bit where Benoit's starting to get back on top, punch, punch, and then he headbutts the barbarian, and it, it just stops him in his tracks mm-hmm. because you can't headbutt a Simone. <laughs> love it, love it. Yeah. Um, this one f- sort of goes the way of WCW shenanigans, doesn't it? Um, yeah. We get the barbarian doing his headbutt from the top rope, do we? Yeah. And then um, Mongo breaks it up. He smashes Haku with his Halliburton briefcase. Benoit gets up, gets a headbutt, and that's enough for the win. It uh, doesn't stop there, though. Uh, Barbarian doesn't take this well. He beats the shit out of McMichael. Uh, and it's at this point that that little poison dwarf, Sullivan, um, Big Bubba, Conan, come into the ring, and the five of them just destroy Benoit. Yeah. It's like a gang jumping. They're just, like, beating on him. Yeah. It's for quite some time. Um, women gets in the ring and Sullivan gets an incredibly strange look in his eye he starts undressing and talking about him being a big man I'm the real big man Um, and I believe that that's what the sort of real life stuff seemed to be about does that that track with you? I think so yeah Um, because I think there was a story told that she in real life had, had fallen for Benoit and then there was an incident and she left Sullivan, I think, an assault or something like that had happened. Um, but how, like, how bloody complicated a situation where all three parties involved are all working for the same company, mm. and you're in the middle of an angle that is involving the three of them. Um, like, it's another one of those. Wrestling's not like real life. You know? <laughs> you're... you're you're unlikely to find yourself in this kind of situation in in real normal life. Um, but yeah, I, as I was watching the beating, I was thinking, well, you know, I think there's always been stories. I think Conan and Benoit were quite close. I think Conan was quite linked with with a few of the like Benoit Guerrero uh, group. Um, so I thought he he wouldn't be laying it in if this was getting real. But I was really trying to look at the just Sullivan and Benoit interaction to see. Mm-hmm. Is there something real here? And the way it played out, I was thinking, "There's, yeah, it's happening." As as we're we're watching, I'm pretty sure. When did radicals join? When did leave and join? Ninety eight. Ninety eight. Yeah. Because Benoit's still to, like Benoit becomes world champion in WCW. Um, yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's amazing. Like Sullivan put the belt on Benoit. Yeah. And <laughs> after I think... him having an affair with his wife. I think they were trying to keep him because I think they knew of the interest and the contract situation. Uh, 
I suppose it's amazing that he actually chose to leave. You know, they put the belt on him, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm still, I'm still going to go." Oh, I'm going though. Uh, yeah, that must be nine. Was it? Yeah. Was it not the? Was it the Mania 2000 where Benoit and Guerrero both held the titles? No. No, you're further on than that. Mania 2000 is Jericho Benoit Angle. Two out of three oh, falls. Of course it is. Yeah, it's further, further on than that. It's uh, about twenty. It's WrestleMania twenty. Ah, yeah, no. yeah. Is it? Uh, yeah, it's twenty. Yeah, uh, two thousand. They jumped. Oh, did it? Was it two thousand? They debuted anyway uh, in WWE. There you go. Yeah. Aye, so he's got a bit, a bit of growing to do. Yeah. Um, okay. Interesting. I like. Yeah, I never want to see Kevin Sullivan staring at somebody and undressing that way. Ever in my life, it was all a bit. It was did, all a bit full Monty. I did like that they set it up properly. Like there was a legitimate reason for Flair, um, Pillman, Anderson not to be there to help out. They'd they'd at least told that story because I, I get the feeling there's there's been times of watching wrestling shows be like why wouldn't why wouldn't they help him? Why? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, doke. Outsiders versus Harlem Heat matches up next for the, the tag team titles. And um, first thing that sort of hit me in the face when these four were in the ring was just how... I don't know if it's how small the rest of the card's been so far. Obviously, the Giants been on, but how big yeah. these four seem to be. It's like going from watching cruiserweights to, to heavyweights or something. There's something so effortlessly cool about Nash and Hall. Like... Oh. Hall especially. I just feel like they're not even trying though. Like they're they're basically doing their thing and being like, yeah, we whether we get that type of reaction or that type of reaction, who cares? We're here, we're doing our thing, and it's just there's a coolness about them that and a charisma that just very few people actually have. Yeah, I agree. Something I appreciate. I I, I think we always say I love watching Hall work. Mm-hmm. Who's criminally underrated? Yeah. Um, but what I appreciated with Nash in this match was how slow he was moving. Um, and I know that sounds like a criticism, but I liked the way he was methodically just slowly. It, it, it sort of emphasised that he was the giant of the match and he was the intimidator yeah. and and all that sort yeah. of stuff. I really liked that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we get a bit of the whole. Over the top rope ambiguity again. Mm-hmm. Somebody gets clotheslined. Oh no, it's um, it's a hip toss over the top yep. rope. I think isn't it? Booker, yeah, Booker hip tosses hip tosses Hall, and yep. the commentators are giving it. Did he? Was that his momentum? Did he mean to do it? And it's just like give it a rest. <laughs> Get rid of that rule, please. Yeah, I was amazed it was still here now. Actually, I'd remembered it being a thing, but I would have thought it'd be long gone by now. Hmm. Yeah, we got a diesel chance for Nash. I think that annoyed him. He looked annoyed. Yeah, probably. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Made me laugh. Um, this one sort of goes back and forward quite a lot. It doesn't really follow any sort of tag team style formula. Yeah. I thought they... See, at the start, because the, the outsiders totally dominate the start, and I thought this is going to be one-sided. Um, but then they started giving the uh, Harlem Heat quite a lot like mm-hmm. they at, at points looked like they were more than holding their own um, 
which I, I don't know if it's just that thing that's in the back of my mind that the outsiders came in and just ran all over everyone because that's that's kind of how the, the story goes. But they did give quite a lot, quite a lot of selling. Uh, Hall, Hall's a good seller. He's a big uh, guy, but he's a very good seller. Definitely. And if anybody was doing that, it was it was he was the sort of one that was being isolated. Yeah. They they do a sort of a uh, spot where it looks like both guys. I think it's Booker and Hall. They've been going back and forward for quite some time, and uh, they do a spot where they bang heads, and they look like they're going to both crawl to either's partner, get the hot tags, but Hall doesn't get there. And it kind of looks like it would be the traditional hot tag to Stevie Ray, but it's just all a bit flat. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that's what they, they probably hoped would happen. But like you said earlier, they were never baby faces, Harlem Heat. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the manager crew that they've got, they're not going to be baby faces. So that's, that's not going to turn them. So it was. I don't know if the entire match was just we need to get the tag belts on to the outsiders because you you wouldn't, I think, look at these two teams and think let's pair them up because that'll that'll get us you know uh, a good reaction. It'll get somebody over. It was more of a. Not to say nobody got over, because as I say, I think they actually gave the Harlem Heat more than I expected them to in the match. But yep. um, it you, you didn't feel like the crowd were sympathetic necessarily towards the Harlem Heat for losing the titles to this group that are basically trying to destroy the company. Yeah, and they were getting booed at, at quite a few yeah. points as well, Harlem Heat. Yeah. Um, finish comes where Booker hits his Harlem hangover. Yeah. All right. Uh, so a yeah. somersault leg drop from the top rope, and you see Nash fully taking the boot in the face. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that looks like it's going to be it. But Parker, Parker, Palmer. Yeah. Parker. Parker. Parker's in the ring. He's got his cane. Nash essentially takes it's like the old candy from a baby type thing, where he just like takes it off him, smashes Booker, and the uh, Hall. Drapes his arm over and they take the tag belts. That's it. They're being the, the announcers were being quite harsh on uh, Parker here because they're basically saying because when Nash confronts him, he does just kind of hand over the cane and the the, the story they're telling from that because he hightails it out of there, Parker, as soon as that's done. So the story they're telling is he's he's saved himself. Uh, but basically given up the team. So I assume this would be the last time that the Harlem Heat are associated with uh, with Parker, I'm assuming. Uh, the, the next thing, and, and you might have fast-forwarded past it, you might have no notes on it, but they do a trailer or an advert or whatever for World War Three, which is their traditionally their next pay-per-view. Did you watch it? The advert for it? It's absolutely insane. Some guy asking his, mom, uh, uh, like an, a middle-aged man, looks a bit like um, what's the what's the guy in Dumb and Dumber that's not Jim Carrey, Jeff. Okay. He's got that kind of strawy long hair, uh-huh. okay, like him, and he's like all over the place, going bananas, asking his mommy if he can watch World Worth it. Anyway, it was oh, I did. Absolutely I did watch that. Terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. I did. I didn't make any sure. notes, but I did watch it. Yeah, that was weird. It was weird. Okay, we're in the crowd with NWO again. We're with Hogan. He has got Sting-style spiky hair. He is, but what a bizarre sight that is. 
Oh, it's I, I like was totally thrown. Like, I, I had, it took me so long to work out what the hell was going on because I was like, well, it's it's not his hair. And then I thought, it it's a wig, but are we to know it's a wig? Are we, is he trying to pretend it's not a wig? I, I, I was a bit thrown by that. It's like, is Hogan always, has he had the ability to, to grow that area <laughs> of his hair? <laughs> Just chose not to do it. But like Kane, where he's like sh- purposely shaved it across that area, it, that properly got me. It got me. Oh. Um, Hogan's in the early days. They must he must have really lent into the Hollywood uh-huh. gimmick, and he's talking about how he's he's body slammed Hollywood. He's finished up his latest Three Ninjas movie, and he's got Santa with muscles coming out in December and. He used to say to come back and body slam WCW, and it just it really showed the how much they were leaning at this Hollywood gimmick because he's he's clearly not fully bedded into what he becomes, is he? Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny because it got me thinking. I was listening to um, the Freddie Prince Junior wrestling podcast. Oh yeah. Um, and he was t- he basically was talking about best and worst wrestler turned actors ever um, and you know there's a few names I think we probably landed on the one I, I would agree with for best which is Batista I think he's kind of head and shoulders above to be honest um, and when he was talking about the worst he just went straight to Hogan like it's like if you like he can't act he can only be Hulk Hogan in mm. whatever scenario <laughs> and he said now you can say The Rock or Dwayne Johnson is kind of similar to that mm-hmm. but he's in better films and he's had far more success, and people want him in their films and all that. So, whereas Hogan, it was a bit like, oh, okay, we'll give this a try. One, one last roll of the dice here, and it never <laughs> worked. It, it, you know, it, it never made a, a a big amount of money or anything like that. Um, and I started thinking about films. Of, I think there's probably only about three films that I've actually seen him in, but they are all awful. Like he's he's terrible. The, so, so what's the one with um, Tiny Lister? We've we've spoke about it before. No holds barred. No holds barred. I dookie. That's um, awful. Yep. I've never yeah. seen Santa with muscles. Have you? No, I've not. No. Never or the three ninjas one. ones. No. No. I've seen um, Suburban Commando, and I, as a kid, I loved Suburban Commando, but I'm sure it's awful. Yeah, I think I think it probably is awful. They're, like. I remember thinking, was it Rocky Three? It's Rocky Three, oh, isn't it? But he's yes, he's good he, as Thunderlips. Oh, brilliant! But he's, I, I, I don't know that there's a whole lot of acting, you know. When... Well, he would. Do, I don't know when that was, but that must have been that. That was sort of that Thunderlips character was what he was in the AWA before he was like yeah. Hulk Hogan. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Santa with muscles. I've never caught. McKinsey's Island. No, I don't know that one. The Secret Agent Club. Spy Hard. He's in Spy Hard. Is he? Must Spy Hard's amazing. A, must just be a cameo. We had a wee cameo in Gremlins too. I remember. <laughs> Does he? Yeah. There's so they're they're like watching Gremlins in the cinema with all the Gremlins, and it's all getting a bit rowdy. And one of them tears through the screen, and Hogan sits up out of his seat and shouts at them all and tells everyone to go back to enjoying their movie or something like that. It's just like wow. a, it's like two minutes. Um, 
But yeah, he's he's never you know carried a film. He's never been the key component in a film being what it was. Maybe Suburban Command, maybe. Um, but yeah, I did, I, th- I thought because we'd I think had some. We definitely had a bit of back and forth about Batista and his performance in Cabin in the Woods, both really impressed yeah, yeah. with the yeah. performance. Oh, it's great. Carried that film. Yeah, 100%. and the fact he seems to be wanting to do different kinds of things. He's not playing the same role. He's not playing basically himself quite a few times or over and, and over I again. Um, yeah. He's not a like big a, muscly guy. Yeah, he's like a proper uh, actor now, a real actor, um, which probably can't be said for all that many of them. Mm. True. Um, can I can I confess something to you? Yeah. I don't think you like it. Okay. I thought Hogan was brilliant in this match, and I really, okay. really enjoyed his performance in this match. Yeah, I didn't hear it. Um, I wanted a different outcome, but you know that's just storytelling. That's fine. The the actual match, like, see what happens at the start, because I. I got a bit concerned when I saw Savage come out in a monster truck. Me and too. I was thinking, where are, where are we going with that? But that's fine. You know, we we get um, a dec- you know you've got the intensity of Savage and and Hogan, kind of being really cocky and running scared in those early yeah. moments. Chicken shit style yeah, stuff. Yeah, which which I thought played really well. Uh, for some reason, I really liked the fact that for ages Savage still had his sunglasses on. Well, well, Hogan still had his sunglasses on. Hogan still had his sunglasses on. And, uh, Savage ended up taking them and, yeah, and wearing right. them. Yeah, Hogan still had his sunglasses on. And then Savage rips <laughs> off Hogan's wig. It's amazing. And one of the announcers said, It's a convertible and the top <laughs> is down. And I burst out laughing when that was said. That must have been Heenan. That was class. <laughs> I assume it was, yeah. But yeah, like, bell to bell, this was a pretty good match. I love the image of Savage with Hogan's glasses and his wig on, just beating him up. He's got the blonde wig on. Yeah. And then they're out <laughs> fighting the aisle, and he starts feeding it to him. And Hogan's, yeah. like, walking back down the aisle, all dazed with the, the wig poking at his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um... And it's what you want from Savage. You want him to be a bit out of control and the whole, you know, mad kind of attack on the outside that was going on just felt kind of perfect, Savage. Um, And Hogan, giving it plenty with the selling, you know, looking quite scared and intimidated and then Mm -hmm. kind of not knowing where he was at points in time as well. I thought thought he played that well. He did. It's almost like a different Hogan. Well, Mm -hmm. it is a different Hogan. It's heel Hogan, but Almost like almost self-deprecating, yeah. yeah. Which you which you clearly don't see very often. Um, I probably could have done without the Elizabeth uh, storyline that was yeah introduced to it about halfway through. Mm-hmm. Um, but I get it. I get it. Uh, Elizabeth Hogan starts putting Elizabeth between himself and Savage to sort yeah. of stop the attacks, which is good fun. Son of a bitch. Big boot by Hogan on Savage. Elizabeth gets in the ring. She lies on top of Savage and all that sort of stuff. Uh, Hogan goes for the leg drop and misses. And Shivani yeah. is... He's just getting wild. He's never missed the leg drop. Some of the verbals from Hogan to Liz were quite... Like he kept saying, you are mine. 
and uh, I was like, I, I don't know, like in a in a good way because I think he was really leaning into it. I was like, this is uncomfortable. This oh, is Savage. Savage's not gonna like that. <laughs> I mean, God, he's probably been divorced for about ten years by this point. But yeah, he's 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 not gonna be happy with that. Um, but yeah, Linda just throwing TVs about her, her house <laughs> watching. I but knew it. I thought he, he played it pretty well, and she's she's not as seeing the like late eighties and early nineties. Miss Elizabeth was like this, the ultimate vulnerable character. Mm-hmm. I didn't she she didn't give off quite the same vibe here. It wasn't quite as as, as it used to be, um, but. I do understand why they put because so many. How many people watching this will have watched the Savage v Hogan on WWE, yeah. and yeah. she was the key component to that storyline. Um, so I, d- I did understand it, but she didn't. I didn't feel like she carried the same vulnerability that because it was there, and that was one of the main selling points of the story. I think was her mm. tears and her which way do I go and you know all that and they were trying to recreate it and trying to make it a thing and they were trying to sort of do it like business versus heart sort of thing and it's good business to be with NWO but Mm -hmm. uh, um, DB hands Hogan some sort of weapon but Elizabeth seems to grab it from him Mm -hmm. Um, poor PB Anderson gets ref bumped smashed into the corner here comes uh, steroid trial era Vince McMahon. Oh no, it's Nick Patrick with his um, <laughs> with his neck brace. Uh, we get flying flying elbow for Savage. Uh, Patrick counts one, two, but then his sore neck prevents him from yeah. counting three. Don't mess with Savage in that situation. Don't <laughs> mess with Haku in that situation because it'll wreck you. Yeah. Um, Savage nails Hogan with the weapon that Hogan had. Uh, and here we get the giant and DiBiase coming out to save Hogan. He choke slams Savage on the floor, mm-hmm. rolls him back in, and they put Hogan on top. And they get a, a Patrick counts the one, two, three, quick, nice quick count. And that was it. Uh, a little bit unsatisfying finish, like you said. Are you laughing at? Uh, giant bringing out oh you're laughing at what comes next yeah. giant brings out a bowl of ice and he's like it's sort of like watching your your kid bringing your birthday cake towards <laughs> you like you just know where this is going to end up he, he pops on the side of the apron and then spills half the whole bowl of ice did you see him doing that yeah, uh, yeah. i like that that's a little detail that they, they use the bowl of ice to wake up hogan mm-hmm. And he's sort of playing to the fact that he has no idea about what's happened. Yeah. And he's yeah. looking at the title like, I won? Yes! <laughs> and he's like really celebrating. Yeah, it's a wee bit like overdone, but it, I don't know. Given everything that's happened, I think it plays pretty well. Uh, Aye. Into, Aye, I liked uh, it. Yeah. Uh, Hogan gets on the mic and you've got him and Giant in the ring. And they start the fans start littering the ring again. I was thinking, there's this bash at the beach again. He's Hogan's trying to to do one of his promos, and the fucking bagpipes start playing. I've got my notes. Oh, for fuck's sake! Is this Piper coming out? Of course, it's Piper. Like this, I had I had a rant to you because 
I don't believe uh, a person could finish up a programme with Randy Savage and then for it to be played as, oh yeah, yeah, you took care of Savage, but now you're in trouble because here's Roddy Piper? Like, <laughs> uh, and that, that, that annoyed me. So right from the off, I'm annoyed. But what I did not expect was the absolute shambles that seems to unfold here because I don't know did did Bischoff talk about this uh, when you when you listen to his pod about the the event because no they talk about it. both him and Conrad are like talking about such an amazing promo that Piper cuts oh no like I I felt like he was either going off script or overrunning or doing something that he shouldn't have been doing. Hogan is audibly trying to bring him back yep. and and then close it however it is supposed to be closed. <laughs> but he just keeps going. And th- that can't have been planned. It, it just, it didn't come across planned. It didn't come across the way it was intended to go at all. And it just seemed like a bit of a shit show. But, like, they got in the bit, there's a bit where basically what Piper's saying, I, I thought I knew where he was going, because he said something like, it wasn't you that brought all these people here. It was all these people that made you. And I thought, yep, yeah, okay, yeah, you're you're having a go. He's turned, he's, he's turned he's, on the people. He's baby yeah. facing it, yep. Yeah. But then he starts making it all about himself. Uh-huh. And I was I'm, thinking... I'm well, as big a, a film yeah. star. I'm as big a wrestling star as you ever are. Yeah. And I thought that was really weird, because if you're starting off on this, you know... Stop pretending you're bigger than the people. I'm bigger than the people. That's, that's <laughs> I'm bigger than you. Because, yeah. That's like, this is weird. And then I felt like he started just going off on tangents and then round in circles. It was all over the place. And every time Hogan tried to bring him back, he's like, no, no, no. You listen to me. So Hogan's like, okay, I'll listen to you. Yes, you will listen to me. He starts talking about WrestleMania. He talks about having his way with Liberace. Um, when 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 he starts out, he says, "Bear with me, folks, because I'm shooting on this one." And it's like, "Oh God!" Hogan must have just been like, "Oh no, what's he going to say here?" But like you say, Hogan does try and cut it off or bring it back round to where it's supposed to be going, and he just shouts over the top of him a couple of times. Um, yeah, the, the, like the last thing that this did was make me think oh, I really want to see what happens next with Piper and Hogan I feel like I'm missing something with Roddy Piper clearly like if 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 you go back and watch like the really early Wrestlemania's he was clearly a big player and he was clearly the big heel and um he, you know, I think there was a thing for for a really long time. I don't think he lost. I don't think he lost by pinfall in matches. Um, I think they kind of protected him for for a very long time. But the sort of Piper, like my main memories of Piper are like the Intercontinental match with Brett. Yes, um, that that's kind of usually my go to moment uh, in my mind, and I, I remember that quite fondly. I think that played off well. Um, sort of the the older veteran almost belittling the the younger guy, um, and I thought he played that role really well. Um, yeah. And the match was really good. Um, yeah. But I don't. I've never thought of him as a t- 
top level threat. You know, I've never thought of him as the guy that comes in and is going to headline pay per views for, like for a, the company. Like a sort of Mister Perfect type level, yeah. like a yeah. intercontinental, yeah, upper mid card type. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So the, the, I felt it was a, even more annoying because I quite enjoyed what I'd just watched with mm-hmm. Savage and Hogan because it was pretty good. And if somebody was offering me more of that and saying, okay, you know. Savage kind of got screwed here by a dodgy ref. You know, you've got somewhere to go. I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I'll watch the next one. But I'm like, are we done? Are we just on a hyper? Yeah, you'd think like the natural next step would be, I want him in a cage where the NWO can't get involved. Mm. Yeah. Type type of thing. Yeah. But nah, Savage is gone. Yeah. Weird. I, th- I think they do, I think they do Hogan versus Piper at Starcade. Okay. Year. Ah, well, we won't see that. <laughs> no. <laughs> the good news is... <laughs> the good news is Halloween Havoc 1997, your main event. Roddy Piper versus Hollywood Hulk Hogan. <laughs> no, it's not. It's... <laughs> Why? In a like, steel cage, no less. He's, he's here a year. He's like... Oh, yeah. Ah. Oh. I like. I really thought oh, I'll be out here in months. Oh, he's here a year. I think he's working the sort of limited. You know, I don't think he's there every week, uh-huh. and he's he's not there every pay per view oh. or whatever. But I... oh god! So I tell me about some awesome undercard stuff so that I can. Yeah, sure. I'll just just for interest, just go look to see what um, Wrestling Observer Observer gave some of these matches. Malenko Mysterio got four and a quarter stars, which is quite okay. quite big. Uh, three and a quarter for six versus Jericho. Three and a quarter for the Outsiders and Harlem Heat. Understand that one. That was it, though. I think it was a pretty, pretty decent, yeah. um, pretty decent overall pay per view. I just, I wasn't, I probably wasn't expecting to enjoy the main event that much, and I did. So that it's like a bit of a pleasant surprise. That aye. Nice. Okay, here we go. 1997, Halloween Havoc. I'll just say we're going to work for a movie next year, next po- yeah. next podcast. 1997, we're going to watch Cube, um, which is about six complete strangers with widely varying personalities are, involuntar- are involuntarily placed in an endless maze containing deadly traps. Yeah. Um, never seen that one, so that'd be interesting. You're saying you've seen it, but I've seen it, I don't really ago. remember it. I think 20 years, probably. But, yeah, so don't remember it, but I okay. looked it up and I thought, that, that should be pretty good. Good news. Commentary team for, for 97, Shivani, Tane, Heenan, Rhodes. Okay. So when I say good news. <laughs> um, okay, singles match. Yuji Nagata with Sunny Ono versus Ultimo Dragon. Okay. Kado, Gado versus Chris Jericho. So Jericho's not climbed much in, in a yeah. year. Or yeah. went went down even. Uh, cruiserweight oh cruiserweight title match, Eddie Guerrero versus Rey Mysterio Jr. That's oh. the classic. Nice. You know Ray's got the, the purple the full purple suit on? Nice. That's a good one. Uh, singles match, Alex Wright versus Steve McMichael. Yes, now we're talking man versus woman match. Oh no. 
Jacqueline versus Disco Inferno. Looking at Observer, five stars there, surely. (laughs) Uh, United States heavyweight title match, Kurt Hennig versus Ric Flair. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Special referee match, Larry Zabisco as referee, Luger versus Hall. Okay. I think every match is a one-on-one. That must be unprecedented. Uh, Sudden death match. Which um be interesting to see what that entails. Uh, DDP versus Randy Savage. Okay. I, I, I can get behind a match between those two. Yeah. Wonder if Savage is an NWO by then. Must be you. Yeah, I would have thought so. And main event is a non-title steel cage match, Roddy Piper versus Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Non-title. Oh, well. Aye. So Piper will win. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, okay. There's, there'll be some decent stuff on that, I think. Mysterio Guerrero. Uh, ah. Yeah, that match is amazing. I know that nice. for for sure. Nice. Okay. okay. Well, okay. listen, WCW pleasantly surprised us this time. Yeah. Um, let's hope. Yeah. <laughs> let's go see. Let's hope it continues. I can remember what 1998's main event is. Oh, no. Can you? No. I think it's part of the reason why we didn't keep doing 1998. <laughs> Does that ring any bells now? No, it doesn't. No? But you're making it sound like we're in for a treat. I think it's Warrior Hogan. Oh, no. <laughs> oh. <laughs> At least we'll be able to rip the piss out of it. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Anyway, that's not to be worried about for a month. <laughs> we've nearly done all these we've nearly done all these havocs. What have we got? Night seven, eight, nine, nine, two thousand, four left. Four left. Okay. Okay, <gasps> we shall we shall chat again in two weeks. Yeah. Until then Adam will you be watching Crown Jewel on Saturday? Oh is it Saturday? Uh, is there anything <laughs> interesting on it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> we've got LA Knight versus Roman Reigns. Rey Mysterio versus Logan Paul. Um, I don't think I'm going to entice you. Seth Rollins, who's he? Oh, Seth Rollins, Drew McIntyre. I could see that being interesting. Could I see it being interesting enough for me to watch? I'm going to say no. Probably not. Probably not. I don't know who else. Cody Rhodes, Damian Priest. Yeah, I I could find some enthusiasm for that if they've taken Damien Priest where I would have taken Damien Priest but I just don't know where they're kind of at with him right now. Has he got the briefcase? He's got the briefcase. Judgment Day are still like the sort of main heel faction. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, oh, I, I will definitely watch it. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but that turned around pretty quick. I'm sure it won't be great. Yeah. Okay. We shall dis- we shall definitely not discuss it in two weeks' time. <laughs> we shall stay away from that nonsense and discuss a time when it was much, much the same. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Two weeks. Take it easy, buddy. Cool. Cheers. See ya. <laughs>